Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Richmond, and this special episode is a continuation of our very popular admissions director Q&A series. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Donna Levinson from MIT Sloan School of Management. Donna's title is Assistant Dean of Admissions, and as the leader of the admissions team, she holds responsibility for all recruiting, evaluation, conversion, and marketing activities in sport of the MBA, Sloan Fellows MBA, Master of Finance, Master of Business Analytics, and Master of Science and Management Studies programs. Prior to this role, Donna was Director of Admissions for five years and the Associate Director for MFIN Admissions for one year. And even before joining MIT Sloan full-time, Donna worked closely with the admissions office reading MBA applications since about 2007, I think. Uh, And it should go without saying that she brings a wealth of admissions and recruiting experience to the team. Prior to MIT, Levinson was a partner at Accenture, where she spent 18 years, and she holds undergraduate and graduate degrees in management science from MIT. Welcome, Donna. Hi. Thank you very much for having me, Graham. It's a pleasure to connect. Um, So as you know, we have a whole bunch of questions that we want to get to, and I really appreciate you making some time um, to chat and and obviously shed light on how things work over at MIT Sloan. So the first question for you is to just give us a little bit of background and sort of about the path that led you to your current role at Sloan. Sure. Um, I don't want to repeat too much of what you said, but uh, I think it is worth noting that I have my undergrad and my master's degree from MIT. I then went and worked in industry for 18 years and always knew in the back of my mind that when it was time for me to do something different, I would want to work on a college campus. You know, early on, I wasn't that specific about MIT, but as the time began to get closer and closer to that transition, it made me realize that wouldn't it be great to go back and work at MIT uh, at my alma mater, become a more active alum. I felt that I had developed, you know, really strong program and project management skills um, while at Accenture and without knowing specifics felt that those were the type of skills that would be valued in a university setting. I didn't fully appreciate just how challenging it might be to, you know, get in the door. Um, But I certainly am very proud of my persistence with regard to being very singly focused and wanting to work at MIT. I think a highlight of my journey was a press release I read in May of 2007 um, that announced a collaboration between MIT professional education and uh, Accenture, where Accenture was growing its workforces in, I believe at the time, China and India, and had uh, partnered with MIT faculty to help develop some training for these individuals. And I I carry that press release with me to this day in my briefcase. I really felt that it was a sign where my two alma maters were working together, and this would be an opportunity for me. As it turns out, it really was exactly that. Um, It got me in the door within professional education. Simultaneously, I was asked to be an MBA application reader, did those two things um, uh, at the same time for about four and a half years. And then when opportunities became more available within the staff and admissions at Sloan, that's when I made the move. Uh, I love my job. To call it a dream job is actually overstating it because quite frankly, I think when I started out on this um, journey. I never dreamed that I'd be where I am today, and I am thankful and so appreciative of this opportunity. So it's kind of like a, a beyond dream <laughs> job. It sounds like it's beyond. Yeah. Yep. So, but so while we're on that subject, though, tell me, like, what do you like about the job most? And also, I got to ask, like, what do you dislike about it? 
what do I like about my job most? You know, I, I like a lot of things. I like, so MIT and MIT Sloan are very much mission-driven schools. And our mission, there's some, you know, fancy words tied to it or, you know, some standard words. For me, it's really all about identifying and tackling the world's biggest problems to make it a better place. That really, really resonates with me. I think uh, most people, if not all people today, could agree that the world could do, you know, use a lot of improving. And so to be a part of that mission, even in the, you know, in the tangential role that I play, I find that very, very fulfilling and satisfying. In addition, the people with whom I get to interact, whether that be faculty or staff or our students, uh, really, really interesting, accomplished individuals who, you know, I just love being around these people. I really, really do. And so what's the, what's the part of the job that you maybe you like a little bit less in terms of, you know, the, the role that you're in? So uh, I'm not sure I dislike anything. I do certainly, there certainly are uh, challenges um, to this role. And I think the last year and a half or so has really created, you know, or highlighted, you know, a few of them. I think working from home um, as an admissions team has been a bit of a challenge. I think we you know, definitely have figured out how to do the transactional part of our jobs, um, which in fact includes, you know, even interviewing virtually. But at the end of the day, we're about, you know, sharing what it's like to be a member of this community with prospects and with applicants. And in order to really get that sense, I think you need to be around the, you know, the community and the people. And so I'm excited about returning to campus this fall. Um, and so I think that's probably, I don't know if I quite answered the dislike, dislike but I definitely, you know, highlighted some challenges. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, I think, um, you know, everyone has had a kind of a rough time. I think, you know, MBA programs and, and communities are really special and they're more so when they're, you know, in person. And I think everyone, I know folks listening have been lamenting the fact that it's been hard to get, you know, get to campuses and, and do the usual stuff that they do when they're prospects. Yep. Um, so yeah, I hear you loud and clear. Um, while we're talking about your community and the fact that, you know, all being together is kind of a special thing. Is there, is there something you want to debunk? Like, I, I, are there any MIT Sloan stereotypes out there that you want to debunk? I, I think the most obvious one is that you have to be an engineer or at least have a STEM background in order to be a viable candidate um, and a successful applicant to our, pro, our MBA program. And that's just not the case. Um, we, you know, if you look at the profile of our of our student body, we have people coming from all different backgrounds. In fact, what I find um, always, I always get a chuckle about is when, you know, someone will approach me and, you know, start off by saying, I have a non-traditional background, blah, blah, blah. And the truth is, I'm not sure, you know, there's, there's any real background. You know, I think that tra- the tradition the the tradition is now that there's more non-traditional backgrounds than you think. I know that didn't come out quite the way I wanted it to, but so we have people with all different backgrounds, and so I, I want to encourage people who are listening um, who you know may think that they don't have quite the right background, please don't let that stop you from engaging with us and learning more about our program to see if, in fact, that's just not the case. Yeah, that's good advice. I, I think um, that is, I totally agree, that is the stereotype that people, you know, we see people talking about and stuff, so it's great to hear you debunk that. Um, I guess one thing I wanted to know is, 
and this might be tough to answer because you haven't been on campus, but is there anything happening or maybe forthcoming on campus that you wish people knew more about? It could be a new program offering or major or any, anything of that nature that's happening that you wanted our audience to know more about. We've actually been working on this throughout the pandemic, and I think it's going to have even more visibility um, in the coming year or so, which is all of the work around um, impact investing um, you know, our, even just to begin with, even our, you know, our finance department and faculty, um, when you're thinking, I know when you're thinking about going to business school and interested in finance, I'm pretty sure we're not always at the top of people's lists. And then when they come here, it's, they're always amazed at the, the work our faculty are doing and the eco finance ecosystem that we have. And over the last couple of years, a lot of this faculty and student driven, um, an added dimension to that around, you know, impact and, again, you know, using money for good and investing for good um, has really taken on a life of its own. And for many of our applicants and our students, this is really an area that they're passionate about. And so I'd love for people to want to learn more about this. And that's actually an area, you know, we see, I know our listeners and, and folks um, on the ClearedMit site, we see a lot of people talking about an interest in impact investing. And so I think it's great to highlight that strength. And I agree with you that for some reason, people don't always think of MIT Sloan in this vein, but I know, I mean, I mean, I guess I've been in the industry a really long time, but I know that a lot of groundbreaking, you know, theory and research has been done um, out of MIT Sloan in, in finance. So it's really, I mean, it is a great school for that. And I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you guys are building out that impact investing area because it's one that's incredibly popular as we see it, at least with the candidates that we see kind of passing through our site. Um, I did want to ask you kind of more tactically, um, yep. since people are, you know, people who are tuned in are thinking of applying, right? So they, I would love to know, it sort of walk me through the life of an application. So someone presses submit and it goes into this for the candidate. It often goes into this like sort of black hole. They don't know, you know, they have rough goalposts about when they might hear things, but tell us about what you guys do when you receive a file from a candidate and all the way through getting them a decision. Absolutely. So we, for, I'll focus on an MBA application. We have three application deadlines. Honestly, we don't start to look at applications until the day after the deadline. So while you know, we encourage you to apply as soon as you can, you know, as, as best as early as, as um, it works for you, um, applying today versus on our application deadline date um, isn't really going to make a difference. Uh, after a um, application deadline has passed, we review all of the submitted applications. Uh, we then... Um, so we have a core group of trained readers who uh, read all of our files. We then and and you know and any give an application can be read um, up to maybe three times before we actually make a decision to then invite an individual to interview. So the interview is the next step in our process. It is a required step in the process. It's by invitation only. So a subset of, of those who submit an application will be invited for an interview. For this coming year, um, our interviews will continue to be virtually. They'll be via Zoom, and they'll be one-on-one -on -one with a member of our admissions committee. Um, our interviewees are asked to submit two additional pieces of information within 24 hours of 
the um, interview itself. One of those is an essay that signals the um, really the importance of our mission statement as well as diversity within our community and asks you to share a time when you contributed to the diversity of an organization or a group. So that's a written essay. The second one is to submit a data visualization slide that has meaning to you. This could be a slide you created yourself or something that you saw in um, you know, online or perhaps you know, on a passing billboard or somewhere that really resonated with you when we ask you to explain a little bit about why this is important to you um, and what it's telling us. And so we then have the interview. Um, and then, you know, after the interviews, we have uh, admissions committee meetings and we make decisions to admit, waitlist, or reject individuals. As part of this process, both for our readers as well as for our interviewers, we have a scorecard that the reader and the interviewer is required to fill out. Uh, and you know, the scorecard fundamentally is a way for them to document evidence of certain competencies that we may be looking for um, for our candidates. And then they each one, the reader, makes a recommendation as to whether or not we should interview or not, and our interviewers make a recommendation as to whether or not we should admit or not. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's terrific. Feel free to ask questions now. Yeah. Or, um, <laughs> no, I think... For anything in between. Yeah, no, that's terrific. And I guess one of the things I just wanted to clarify is it sounds like, so when someone gets an invitation to interview, they are then given this assignment to write an essay and, and find a data visualization, and they have to deliver that before they interview. Correct. Um, so I guess my question on that, and, and we, maybe we'll get into it a little bit more later too, but I was wondering, does that mean that the person interviewing them will read that stuff prior? That's like part of it, right? They're going to look you at the bet. stuff. Yeah, okay. It's one of my, it's, it's, yep, absolutely. For me as an interviewer, um, I can tell you that I love to, act, after some brief introductions, I will begin my interview with a discussion of the data visualization slide. I love it. Okay. You know, it's it's a way to learn a lot about an individual and what you know something that's important to you. Well, the interviewee is very familiar with the slide, so it's a nice icebreaker. It's a way for them to get comfortable and at ease for the remainder of the conversation. Yeah, and I, so yes, yeah. So that makes sense. And I guess the other thing I just want to say, and this is just sort of off the cuff, but I I really like this idea of. You know, you read the file a few times, you make a decision about the interview, and then you have just those candidates that you've kind of identified as people you really want to um, spend a little more time with do these extra things. So you're kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it seems operationally really smart so that you're like putting a lot of the, um, you're getting a lot more information of the, you know, about these candidates that you're going to interview. And as you say, it sounds like it's a really great way to sort of break the ice um, in the discussion that you have with them. So yeah, it just seems really interesting and innovative to me. Thank you. I, uh, I I personally can't take credit for it, so I can just also tout that I think it's great. <laughs> um, you know, part of the thinking was in the initial written application that people submit, we want we we want the right amount of information to basically assess somebody's capability to be successful in a Sloan classroom, mm -hmm. and then once people you know jump that hurdle which is then the interview, then it would be great to get more information about them, more around interests to see whether or not you know, this is a good fit. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, let's like roll back the, the clock a little from the interview and go to the essay piece, which really for you all is the cover letter. And I just wondered if you could 
Like, is there, is there any advice you have about how people approach that? Because it's also kind of innovative and unique, right? So this is how I suggest that people think about it. it take the cover letter, the resume, and the video where you're introducing yourself to your classmates. And think about those three together as a little bit of a package mm-hmm. where the resume is providing your work history Your video is sharing more of who you are and what interests you and what your passions are. And then the cover letter is pulling this all together and why MIT Sloan. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess, um, and I'm going to have to ask you that. So one of the things that's interesting about the cover letter and even just all the materials that one has to provide, um, you know, as part of the application is that it doesn't seem like you're asking about you know, sort of career plans, or at least not in the way that some other schools do, right? Where they're literally saying, you know, what are your short-term goals after business school? What are you going to do in the long term? Give us names of companies, titles, et cetera. Um, So can you shed some light on that approach? Yep. Um, So there's, I think there's two main reasons why we don't ask. The first is, you know, candidates can say virtually anything. It's aspirational. And I'm not saying they're telling us what they think we want to hear, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, they pretty much can say anything and there's not a whole lot to back that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second is, you know, we see so many of our students making changes once they come to business school. So, you know, we survey our students when they walk in the door, our career development office, you know, surveys them. What are you thinking about? What do you want to pursue? Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we see what people are doing when they leave, and a significant percentage of our students are doing something different when they walk out the door than what they thought they were going to do when they first came and, and joined our community. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's interesting because, um, again, you guys, I, I always I'd have admired MIT Sloan just because you're always doing things in a kind of innovative, different way. I think you were actually the first top school to have a fully digital application, which now sounds silly because everything's online. But I remember, um, I'm dating myself here, but when I remember when it was announced that you guys were going to have applicants apply online, you know, and, and that was kind of a big deal then. And so it just seems like you're always kind of doing stuff that has you out in front. Um, and I, I, yeah, this is an interesting um, process and yeah, just really cool, innovative stuff. Um, let's go back to the interview process for just one moment. I know we talked about the fact that candidates do these two exercises, an essay and a data visualization that they select before they interview. Yep. Um, but can we talk a little bit about like what happens in the interview itself? I mean, it sounds like you might talk about the data visualization, but what, are, what type of an interview is it? And how much do you know about the candidate that you're interviewing? It sounds like you know a lot, but I'd just love to get oh, yeah, clarity on that. Question. Yeah, we know everything. So our, <laughs> the interviewers have, we have the application file in front of us. We, and as part of our preparation for the interview, we read all of the components. We watch the video. Um, so we know everything that you've shared with us up until that point. Um, The interview lasts around 30 minutes, and I need to stress this because I chuckle over this. That's a ballpark. If an interview lasts 25 minutes or 35, that is no indication at all as to whether or not the interviewer liked you or thought that you'd be a good fit or there's just no correlation there. And sometimes in reading blogs and people will stress out because their interview might have been a little bit shorter than someone else's or a little longer, you know, talk about debunking rumors. I need to get that one out there because they, that just is irrelevant. <laughs> the, the amount of time of the, the actual amount of time of the interview itself is irrelevant. Um, the, but let's say it's around 30 minutes. 
Um, it starts with introductions. As I said, many of us will begin by asking you to explain your data visualization. We'll uh, ask if there's been any changes since you submitted your application. We then may ask some probing questions very specific to the application, if there's some outstanding questions, maybe around a gap in employment or some, something unusual with your academics. You know, it, it varies. In some cases, there's not, no real follow-up. The bulk of the interview time is spent um, asking a series of behavioral questions, which will vary. So no two people should have this exact same interview experience. Um, you're not the same person. You have different backgrounds. You, you know, we're building off of a different application, so there may be more questions to probe on for one than another. So again, people should not compare their interview experience and somehow make some judgment about that. Um, we will then always leave time for the interviewee to ask us questions. Okay. And, yeah. th and that's how it goes. I like to think of it more of a conversation than an interview. That's Yeah, that's good to hear. And I think it really is great for the candidates to come in knowing that you've seen everything. And it's it can be, I find, it can be challenging when you go to a program and they interview you, but the interviewer doesn't know anything about you. And so you're kind of starting over when you've, you know, when you kind of feel like you've already poured your heart and soul into an application. So this makes it easy, They you know, that you've read everything they've submitted. Um, as you said, you know everything. Um, I had to laugh, though, when you mentioned this interview, the, 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 the duration of the interview, because I'm sure, as you were saying it, I could already picture the thread on Reddit somewhere yep. where people were comparing, you know, average, you know, average minutes interviewed versus acceptance or rejection. Correct. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, people come up with all kinds of stuff. So I'm glad you're debunking that. Um, Let's shift gears. I wanted to know if you have any advice for early admission candidates. I mean, who should be focusing on a deferred path to an MBA? <laughs> Do it. And, and so, you know, it's primarily college seniors. Yeah. Um, it's also people, though, who are completing a graduate program who may not have worked full-time in the past. Okay. So we accept those candidates as well. You know, if you, if you think that an MBA is in your future, I encourage you to apply now. For a variety of reasons, one of which is um, just the, you know, the, 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 the process of which you're writing an application. You've been in school, you're sort of in that mode of doing work, of doing projects. If you have to take a GMAT or GRE, you're in that mindset. And so there's a little bit, I think, of an advantage for people who are already in that mindset to actually fill out an application. That's, that's sort of a, uh, like a number one you know, reason. Number two is it then gives you the, you know, an assurance policy that you have an MBA waiting for you when the time is right. For us, the time frame is two to five years. And so you then go and you, you work without having this in the back of your mind. And you can work for, again, two to five years, really focused on the, your job and building skills. And then knowing this is, it's an, it's an outstanding insurance policy to have. Yeah, <laughs> in my mind, I, I don't see a downside. I actually don't. We also are realistic, and so we know that every single person who we admit, who deposits with deposits with us, is not going to matriculate. Yeah, and I I think you know it's funny. A number of leading schools have this sort of offering. I personally think it's great because I can still remember when I um, when I went to my parents and said I was thinking when I graduated college. I said I'm going to just work because I'm thinking of getting an MBA, and I remember them being 
you know, sort of like, oh, well, if you go out into the workforce, you're never going back. And, you know, it's kind of, you're never going back to school. Um, and, you know, others in my graduating class were going off to medical school or law school. They kind of had everything, um, you know, tied up in a nice, neat bow. And there was this great sort of uncertainty. And so I personally would have been really assured to know that I could, like, apply as a college senior and have this kind of um, all put to rest and then go out and work without that pressure, as you described. So I think it's great. Um, but are there, do you think that when you look at these types of candidates, it, it must be different in terms of assessing because they have less, you know, there's not the whole record of like professional experience. Yep. So it's, we definitely looking at potential. I will, I agree. But we also, we, we very much have our process, um, our evaluation process is built around a core set of competencies um, that we believe contribute to making you not just a great student in our community, but also out in the business world. And to be honest, we are applying the same competency model for MBA early. We just may be finding evidence of these competencies in other areas. For example, um, you know, leadership skills, the ability to convince and influence others. Well, correct, you don't have five years of experience. However, do you have an internship um, where you worked, or have you played a, a sport in school and have you taken on a leadership role there? Have you been involved in projects in school and taken on roles there and leadership roles there? So there's definitely, you know, um, I think it's really important to note that fundamentally we are looking for the same set of competencies. We're just looking for that evidence in other areas and perhaps the volume of evidence we've adjusted for as well. Because in the end, you're going to be a member of our MBA community two to five years down the road, um, and you should not stand out. So that, that's another, I think, rumor to debunk. If you're admitted, for us, you know, I can really only speak for us, but if you're admitted to, in, into our MBA early deferral program, in the year that you matriculate, there's no MBA early t-shirts that you get on day one. <laughs> you're just part of the MBA cohort. Right. And so it's in everybody's best interest that... You know, you're, you, you possess the same set of skills and qualifications that others do. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm laughing because I think that, you know, people often feel this way about like the wait list too. It's like, am I going to have a t-shirt that says admitted from the wait list no. when I arrive on campus? And that's not true. At or, all. or a reapplicant. Yeah. yeah we love reapplicants. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. Good. Um, so the last question I had for you before we do some fun um, kind of real humans questions that we have is I just wanted to know. What about COVID and, yep. and you know, are, are you going to be in person this fall? And also, um, it's one thing to have the MBA community back on campus, but what about outsiders? Like, are you going to be open for campus visits or not, et cetera? So let me begin with the MIT community as a whole is, um, uh, requires vaccination for all faculty, staff, and students to be on campus. Um, as of today, we will have a mask mandate inside all buildings. The mask should be worn at all times unless you're in a private office like I am right now, you know, talking to you. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're that one person in the classroom speaking at any point in time. So when the faculty are standing in front of the classroom with all of the students wearing their masks, the faculty member can take his or her mask off if they want. And then if, you know, when you're the student, Speaking up in class, you can take your mask off. Okay. Uh, in addition, we will have weekly COVID testing for all members of the community as well. From an, an admission standpoint, uh, for the fall, I mean, we are taking this one semester at a time, we continue to plan to be completely virtual. So that's 
Um, all of our recruiting events will be virtual. We are not inviting uh, guests to campus, whether that be for a tour or a classroom visit. We are not doing any of that. And our plan also is for interviews to be virtual as well. Having said that, Having said that, though, we have, a we have a robust set of virtual recruiting events that range from intimate coffee chats with either a student or admissions of admissions to, you know, the larger info sessions. We have a lot of um, faculty master classes that you can engage in. So there's lots and lots of ways for people to get a feel for what our environment is like without physically being here. Yeah, that makes sense. We, I mean, I've spoken with a number of folks in, in, in your seat at other institutions, and that seems really consistent in terms of, you know, open for students, but not yet for outside visitors, but still a, a really robust offering of virtual events. And it sounds like you have a number of things people yep. can take advantage of. Um, so let's dive into some of the fun questions as we kind of wrap up today. Um, so these are just kind of what we call them the lightning round. Um, and the idea is just, you know, for our audience to get to know you a little bit. Um, and we'll just do them kind of rapid fire. So the first one is coffee or tea? Coffee. All right. Um, beach or mountains? Beach. Okay. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. Okay. Um, what's a pet peeve that you have? Something that bugs you? <laughs> yeah, people who put others down to make themselves feel good or elevate themselves. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Uh, what about a guilty pleasure? Shoes and sweaters. Ah, okay. I guess you were in the right place, you know, New England um, for sweaters. That's good. <laughs> I lived in Florida for 10 years. That was tough on my sweater wardrobe. <laughs> but maybe not so bad for the shoe wardrobe because you could wear a lot of like open shoes and things That's like that, right? right? <laughs> you got it. Um, all right. So what is your favorite virtue in others? Celebrating other people's successes. Okay. Um, what about a happy place somewhere that you just like to, you know, to go to relax? I have a home in on Cape Cod my home there. Oh, awesome. And what do you do when you're there? Like, are you, are you sort of near the beach, I'm assuming, and that kind of stuff? I am near the beach. I like to sit out back with a cup of coffee from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. or from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Those are my favorite times. Got it. Um, how about a comfort food? Dumplings. Dumplings? What kind of dumplings? I say all kinds. <laughs> <laughs> like, so like dim sum yeah, type stuff yeah, or, can, or yeah, more? Dim sum. Okay. Um, also, uh, you know, there's the um, soup dumplings that have, you know, when you bite into them, a oh, broth yeah. pours out. There's all kinds. You know, yes. I've been very fortunate to travel quite a bit in this job and have had amazing <laughs> food all over the world. And I've, yep, dumplings. Now I'm hungry. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So... What's one thing you would change about how you were raised? Mm. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I am one of four girls, and as a result, I was never, ever told that I couldn't do something simply because I was a woman. Um, and that was something that, until I was older and actually met other people who weren't brought up the same way, didn't really appreciate just how special that was and just how much that influenced putting me on the path I am today. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a really great thing um, to be, you know, to be in that position. But yeah, I guess then you, yeah, it sounds like 
there was an adjustment to kind of understanding why other people are coming from a different <laughs> angle on that. But yeah. No, 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 no. There's nothing negative about yeah. this at all. All I'm trying to say is I didn't fully appreciate just ah, okay. how unique that was. No, there's absolutely nothing negative about it yeah. at all. And it's certainly not anything I would yeah, change. It sounds pretty terrific. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, so what about a superpower that you wish you had? Oh, I wish I could create world peace. Yeah, much needed these days. Um, so that's a good one. What what schools, if any, rejected you? So you, I know you went to MIT, but did you maybe you applied elsewhere? Have you ever been rejected from an institution of you know a higher ed? And if so, like do you kind of think about that when you're doing your job today and dealing with that? You know, having to reject candidates and stuff. Um. So I. I was definitely rejected when I applied undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, it, you know, any kind of rejection is something people take very personally. And so I think it's important for us as an admission staff to recognize that while there's certain aspects of the job that we do that are somewhat, you know, uh, uh, wholesale with, you know, taking in thousands of applications. In the end, each one of those applications is an individual and a person who has dreams and aspirations. And whenever any one of us interacts with any of those people, I think we need to do so with the utmost of respect. Yeah, well said. Uh, which part, this is kind of an unfair question, but which part of the MIT Sloan admissions process would you most like to skip if you were applying today? Oh, so the video, that's easy. <laughs> I it, it, It's only because I am just not a fan of taking videos. It's, um, you know, I have to do it a lot for my job. I was so glad when you asked me to do a podcast because it's not a video. <laughs> um, I'm just very uncomfortable in front of the camera, very. And so, yeah, that would be the part that I would really want to try to figure out how to skip. Got it. Yeah, you're not alone there. It's funny, when you were talking about the video before, I was thinking, oh, that didn't exist when I applied to business school. There was no, I mean, we weren't doing videos. But now it's actually quite common. I mean, a lot of schools do it. And I was thinking to myself as we were talking, I'm like, boy, how would I introduce myself to my classmates in a video? Yep. And just how difficult that could be, potentially. Um, I but I think also... People who are younger, I'm thinking, you know, of our listeners here, they may be more comfortable with it than, totally than we are. <laughs> yep. Totally, um, totally agree. So um, this is more just for my own personal benefit um, and maybe for our listeners' benefit too, but what's the best thing that you've read, watched, or listened to recently? Um, so, I, uh, so I've always been a... F uh, let me think. Uh, hmm. So I rewatched The Newsroom which I loved. Oh, wow. The, yeah, the newsroom, Aaron Sorkin. Mm -hmm. It's this only four seasons of it. Yeah. I, re I recently found it and watched it all over again, and it had been long enough that it was like I didn't remember every detail, but loved every minute of it mm -hmm. and thought this is something that we, you know, easy. There's so many reboots out there. A reboot of the newsroom would be would be awesome. Interesting. Yeah, I've never, I'll have to watch that. I have not seen it before, so I'll have to go back. <laughs> are, you an, are you an Aaron Sorkin fan? Uh, no, I mean, I don't really know. No, not a, I can't say that I'm well-versed. West Wing? Have you never watched The West Wing? I have not watched The West Wing. I'm like embarrassed to admit it, but I, yeah, but I know. West yeah. Wing, Sports Night, Newsroom. Okay. All yeah. All right. Have to add it to the list. This is what's been fun about doing these with everyone as I'm making this list of, of things to catch up on. Yep. Um, Dawn, I really appreciate you making time out of your schedule to chat today. And I know, um, you know, you probably have a million things going on, welcoming in a new class soon here and just even getting things back to campus, which I'm sure you're excited about too. But anyway, I just really appreciate you making some time to connect. 
Thank you. Thank you for reaching out. It's been a pleasure. So everyone, please stay tuned to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast for more admissions director Q&As, as well as our weekly wiretaps episodes. And as always, thanks for rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen.